Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Mavs Film Room Podcast. I am your host, Jay Apaji. It is Monday, October 31st, 2022, Halloween. Happy Halloween. It's been a scary time in the Mavericks universe. Not really. It's not been scary, but the Mavericks did come off a much-needed 114-105 to victory against the Orlando Magic last night in Dallas. The last time we recorded a podcast... They had fallen at the very end of the game to the New Orleans Pelicans, and we've ended our frustrations in that one. Since then, the Mavericks have won two out of three, which included an overtime win against the Brooklyn Nets last Thursday, 129 to 125. Um, And of course, last night's game against the Magic, they won. But sandwiched in between that was a scary game, actually, against the Oklahoma City Thunder at home in which the Mavericks led by 16 points in the in the final 3 minutes and 57 seconds of that game and somehow some way managed to lose the game they gave up a run to the thunder that forced overtime and in overtime the team fell apart and they fell to to OKC 117 to 111 so i do sense that despite the fact that the Mavericks have won two out of 3 and won their game last night. That Thunder game really does leave a bitter taste in many people's mouths um, in the Mavs fan base. So we're going to talk about these last three games and kind of what we've been learning about this team, where they need to improve, what's going well. But first, got to introduce my co-host for this episode, Rohan. How's it going, my man? Uh, Better than last time. I think I had some anger things to work out last episode. This episode, I'm much more chilled. Yeah, I think we all had some anger stuff to work out after last episode. And honestly, if we had done this episode after Saturday night, we also would have been uh, had some anger and honestly, probably even more anger uh, because that is just uh, an unacceptable loss. Um, it's been an interesting start to the season for the Mavericks. I mean, it's still obviously very early in the season to be hitting the panic button or declaring this team one way or another, but I do think that there have been some concerning trends uh, in the first six games of the season. Uh, there have also been some encouraging trends, mainly the fact that the Mavericks have looked like the best team or the better team in pretty much all the games that they've uh, that they've played. However, it just seems like uh, for whatever reason, they have fallen apart in the second half. And we saw against Phoenix, New Orleans, most recently against Orlando or Oklahoma City, that you know, they, for whatever reason, they're not able to, to to close the deal. And so I unfortunately have not been able to watch the last two games um, against Orlando and OKC. So I'm going to need you to kind of fill me in on, on how things went in those two games. Um, First off, it's always fun being on the podcast. Um, Two, it's always fun doing this after a win. Uh, yeah, that OKC loss, I guess we'll start there. Um, definitely the worst loss this season, despite it not being as maybe embarrassing on the, on the number side of things. Um, mostly because that game was in the Mavs hands until the last two minutes of the game. And the late game execution was the worst that we've seen this season. And I know that we talked about that last episode. Um, and the late game execution has struggled in every game even the ones that they have won but largely uh i think just agreeing with you 
the reason why we're frustrated or we have been frustrated or why I have been frustrated is that the Mavs kind of should be 6-0. and They have a reason to be 6-0 and in every game if they can close it out. And it's purely because they can't close out the games that they are leading and that they have by the horns for those three quarters and change that they have lost those three games. Um, and obviously that's in the background now, but being 500 when you were in contention to win every single game until maybe the last quarter, the last half of the last quarter, it's pretty unacceptable. Um that being said, OKC was the worst example of this for so many reasons, but also just because their rebounding and their defense took a nosedive. Like, and I say that as in maps, rebounding and defense. Um, as good as Christian Wood has been, I think that's probably his biggest deficit is that he's a good rebounder and he's a decent perimeter defender, but he can't do that job the way that JaVale does it. And I think that's kind of the trade-off there that's kind of unspoken. Because even when Dwight's in the game, he's able to focus on it more than Christian Wood is. And a part of that is because of Christian Wood's skill set and what the team asks him to do. Um, and obviously the positions that he's playing in and the fact that he's not starting. Um, but that game in particular... You can't defend Shea any better throughout those three or four quarters. But everyone else, there was not a body. There was not a box out. There were too many offensive rebounds in those last three minutes of the game. Uh, I One that comes to mind immediately is near the last play of regulation. Um, Lou Dork grabs an offensive rebound near the free throw line. And it's, or maybe it's a defensive rebound I'm thinking of. But there were three Mavs closer to the basket. So it's really just a case of poor positioning and a lack of hustle um, that got them there. However, that a little bit of that was fixed uh, in last night's game against the Magic. Um, and even that was a nail-biter. Uh, it was not a foregone conclusion that the Mavs were going to pull that one out. But they did end up doing so, I think in large part because Luka is reliable constantly. Um, that's been my biggest takeaway maybe from these last two games other than the rebounding woes um, and just the lack of engagement near the lack of game uh, near the end of games um, has been how much scoring Luca has to do and the fact that he's in better condition to enter this season I think I'm taking for granted and we in general are taking for granted but also I have major criticisms of Luca this season that I have never had for Luca. And primarily I would say I think his playmaking has taken a really big dip this season. And I don't I don't know necessarily why that is because there are multiple factors. Um but you can just kind of tell. There's a just off the top of my head maybe 2 minutes to go in the first half of the Magic game and it's pretty much tied or it's a close game. Um Luca gets his double screen at the top of the three-point line, uh, dribbles right, spins left, gets a layup to go. But from the second that the screen was set, Reggie, Reggie's on the wing open. There's not a guy next to him for three feet, and he's the closest Mavs player to Luka. And that's the last possession that the Mavs will get that half. From a purely ana ana analytical perspective, Reggie is the pass to make there. But 
Luca doesn't make that pass. And who am I to say that that decision was bad because he made the layup? But if we want Reggie to be more engaged, kind of building off of some of the stuff we were talking about last episode, if we want him to be in rhythm earlier in the season, it's going to take feeding him when he's open and when he has that chance, because then his confidence will also be in gear. Um, And then to also finish off uh, the comparisons that we were making in the last episode, Dorian had a really good game against the Magic. I I think his hustle primarily and his his hustle, his rebounding, and also just his making open shots. Um, Really, this was the best game for him this season. And we're going to need a lot more of that, not just from him, but also guys like Josh Green, who have had really, really good games these last two or three, um, just purely based on the eye test. So the Mavs have gotten more contributions in these last few games. I think that's good. The Magic game was definitely heartening because more guys contributed. But I frankly think there are more negatives than there are positives. I should probably rephrase that. I think there are more criticisms than there are praises that you can levy at the Mavericks right now, just because they should be 6-0. If this team was truly a contender in any way, shape, and form, they would not be 500 at this point. They would have closed at least two of those games. So yeah, these last two games have been a movement in the right direction, but I can understand why fans are dissatisfied. Yeah, I think you you had a pretty good overview of a lot of the the things that have happened here in the last few games. Um, and I think you touched on all three of the topics that I want to discuss in this episode. So let, let's kind of start with uh, Jason Kidd, because I think there's been a lot of criticism of his coaching uh, this season again, and some of it deserves, some of it I think is amounts to hand wringing. Uh, but I think one thing is very clear that Jason Kidd is one of the more unconventional coaches in the league in terms of the way that he manages his team because he is a hundred percent a fan of letting players figure things out themselves. He's a very hands off coach, at least when it comes to in game, uh, in-game management basically you know he's not very fond of calling timeouts that's probably one of the biggest criticisms uh that there is of kids coaching and honestly like uh I, I I kind of agree with some of it um you know but again my stance on Jason Kidd is that with last year he earned enough fate from me that I am willing to give him some more time this season before I fully am gonna pull the plug on my uh my support for him just because we saw a similar situation play out last year where it was a lot of let the guys, you know, pl- figure things out on their own. Eventually, when they know what they're good at, they'll all start playing their role. And last season was a great example for something like that uh, to work. Now, is it going to happen again this year? It's not guaranteed. But I think you have to give him more than six games before we make that determination. So I'm curious to know whether kids' stubbornness with the rotations – uh, has anything to do with the Mavericks being unable to close games? Because you talk about, you know, guys like Reggie Bullock not being able to get into a rhythm because Luca is scoring so much. And Kid talks about this almost every game about how unique of a challenge it is to have a player like Luca and still have your uh, surrounding cast stay informed throughout a game. Because, like, I mean, you know, for any basketball player, it's difficult to stay loose and stay warm. Um, if you're kind of just watching one guy 
handle the ball for the bulk of time uh, on the floor. So is there anything more that kid can do with rotations or with uh, in-game play calling that can open things up for the Mavericks and keep the offense moving um, when it stagnates? Because we see time and time again that uh, the Mavericks are able to get off to a decent start in the first quarter because Luka comes out aggressive. Um, you know, he scores many times. He scores like 20 points in a quarter. Uh, but then like over the course of the game, things start to stagnate a bit for whatever reason, whether it's Luka dribbling too much um, or other guys just not getting into a rhythm. So what more can Kid do to really open things up? And before I let you answer that question, we have a surprise appearance by Fazel in his podcast. He wasn't uh, supposed to make it, but he's here now. So what's up, Fazel? Hey, guys. So um, I got flaked on, so I'm here on the podcast. <laughs> um, no, seriously, it's good to be here. Um, definitely, like, I'm, I'm glad I got some schoolwork done today because now I feel like less of a piece of shit. So that's always good. Um, so, yes, as far as I can tell from what we're talking about with the Mavs and Jason Kidd's coaching rotations, like, it's frustrating. Um it's what he always does or has always been doing throughout his entire coaching tenure. And I think that really, um, he, it made it, he made it work last season because, you know, that last year, the Mavs were more of a veteran squad. They still are, but you know, most of the same talent is in place, but um, everybody seemed to buy in very quickly. And he really had um, the control of the locker room. And I don't see any reason why that would be different this year. The only thing that I have a real, um, you know, I have a real problem with is just his management with Christian Wood, which I mean, you know, some people can play those, he can play those sort of semi mind games with, and that's great and all. Um, I'm not sure if Wood is that guy though, given his past history in the league, which I'm not saying that as an indictment on, on Wood, I'm just saying that is his personality style and his personality type. And I'm not sure if he really um, likes well, to be clear, Kid isn't really playing subterfuge. He's always been saying that JaVale would start and Christian would come off the bench. But I'm not sure if he likes this whole, like, you know, if Wood likes this whole approach when he knows that he is absolutely one of the five most talented guys on the roster and should deserve to close and to start, um, which he hasn't really been doing either of. So if I were him, I think I'd be understandably rather annoyed and perhaps a little disillusioned. And I think that's something that, you know, kid should and the rest of the Mavs should really um, be aware of and not be so rigid in their way of like saying, okay, we got to prioritize the guys who've been here first and the guys who've been reliable around Luca for the longest time. Like, yes, I can understand that. But if we're really thinking about the future, um, which Christian Wood could absolutely be a big part of, then that I, I'm not sure if that, there should be such rigid adherence to that approach. Yeah, you make a fair point. Sorry, Rowan, if you're going to say something, but I do have to say that I think at this point from, you know, the last year and how many ever months it's been of Jason Kidd in Dallas, the one thing that's clear to me is that he's uncompromising in the culture that he's trying to build here. Whether or not that's the right approach, um, I think this season might reveal a lot about it, but for any player not named Luka Doncic, 
you're going to have to really fall in line with the way that that he wants you to do things. Um, and last year, like you said, it, it worked pretty well because of maybe who who was on the team um, and, and just certain things breaking right for them. This year, it's still unclear. Is Christian Wood up to that challenge or not? I don't think the Mavericks at this point view Christian Wood as good enough to compromise on their principles and their fundamentals uh, that they're trying to build in their team culture uh, to make any concessions to him like they would for Luca. But I do agree that Christian Wood did has shown enough, like at least in the first three games of the season to where uh, you do need to, you know, look very closely at how you're playing him, try to get him more consistent uh, minutes, a, a more clear, you know, position in the rotation. Otherwise for a player like that, who clearly believes that he is worthy of being a starter um, and even an all-star type player in this league, uh, you have to kind of show him that that you value him. Otherwise, like this could become a frustrating, um, you know, frustrating situation for all parties involved. And so, I guess time will tell. You know, Jason Kidd kind of did something like this last year, where he called out the team after another, you know, tough back-to-back loss to OKC in Orlando, ironically, and he said, I think like this team is not built to play defense. Um, and after that, the team really turned it around. So I think he's banking on something like that happening again this year with Christian Wood. But, uh, you know, of course, last year's team was last year's team. This year's team is this year's team. Um, so we can't make any assumptions that they'll respond in the same way. Yeah, to to return to, obviously, the question you asked before Fazl gave his take, Um yeah, I don't think there's much more that I can say in regards to maybe his rotations um, with Christian Wood more than Fazel said this episode and what I and we in general said in our last episode. Um, but I do think the rotation criticism that I have for Kid this year has m- more to do with just substituting guys in when the game needs that rhythm. Like, I feel like there's less of the proactive substitution that goes in. And if it does, it seems like it's done for less of a chess master or for, let's just give it a simpler term, like that gamer mindset. You know, that's something that he and Luca should have together. So Luca keeping the defense honest in the early game it's clear that that is the recipes for success. Like you have to, you have to get the opposing team focused on Luca and all of his varying scoring arsenal. But unfortunately, I feel like the, the other emphasis isn't made that he has to play like LeBron in Miami, where he has to work on almost deferring once he's gotten a certain threshold, he has to consciously think that he has to defer a little bit, especially in the early game when it means less to defer and for it to fail. Because then in those final moments, everybody is confident and everyone's playing on a string. I think everyone's bought in this year. I just feel like not everyone's confident in their skill set. And it's Luca's job because he's that primary playmaker and that there's no one off the bench that can even approach that level of cerebral gamer playmaker that Luca is that he just has to take that role on and so that's kind of what I see as J-Kid's biggest absence 
in coaching and maybe that's even asking him to do more than he has to do because it's early in the season 15 guys obviously you got to keep everyone on the same page but unfortunately Luca being a scoring phenom Luca playing like he's Carmelo Anthony in his prime that isn't that isn't a recipe for the team to be successful and I'm gonna this is probably my hottest take that I've had on a Mavs Film Room podcast. I don't care about Lucas statistics. When he gets a triple-double or when he reaches 30 points, I don't care. He can do that in any game on any team in the league. I care about how, like how many great passes does he get to his, does he get to a guy that needs that pass at that moment. And honestly, I've seen that go down this year compared to especially his first few years in the league. Um now that's that's the main criticism with Luca and maybe the coaching there. I think in terms of rotations, it comes down to like, oh, bring Josh Green in at this time, or oh, bring Wooden at this time. He's still working some of that out, but hopefully now that those players like Dorian, like Reggie, like Josh, have kind of cemented what they can do for the team, um, and while they're hitting at least a certain margin of their shots. I think there should be more confidence to kind of play to their strengths in rotations. I don't feel like that's done enough. And I think maybe that's a byproduct of those players' individual confidence in their skill sets, and probably in terms of scoring with Josh Green and Reggie. But you sometimes you just gotta, you gotta be the blind confidence for your guys, you know? So I, I feel like that that's maybe the biggest criticism that I have of Jay Kidd. But he was never he was never um, pitched as an X's and O's guy, you know. So I I can't sit here and be like, oh, he messed up the X's and O's because it's kind of an ineffective or it's a feckless criticism. Um, and I think there's better better arguments to make. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, as we've learned, a big part of the NBA game is personnel management uh, as opposed to X's and O's because I mean the NBA is a star driven league you're gonna go as your star player goes as we've seen with the Mavericks it's very heavily dependent on how Luca performs um, I mean yeah Luca is on an absolute scoring tear right now I mean he had 44 against Orlando he's averaging 36.7 points per game on the season and that's with him shooting you know 22.6 percent from three so, I mean, this is really a testament to how well he's shooting the mid-range right now, as well as uh, his ability to get to the free throw line, as well as knock down free throws, which is something that he struggled with uh, in the past. So, uh, it's tough. I mean, Luca is really one of the most unique players that that we've ever seen. I mean, such a high usage guy. Um, you know, James Harden, I know that that, you know, comparison is a little bit uh lazy but like i mean in terms of guys who have the ball in their hands for as long as they do i mean luca and james harden are really two of those players up there we haven't seen too many players like that uh and so it is tough to build a team around it because i mean i wish it were as simple as as saying like yeah just get luca another all-star teammate and we'll be good because yes in theory that is true but how many guys are willing to accept that role um as a player who is going to have to compliment Luca as opposed to maybe truly star alongside him. Because I just think Luca at this time is such a player that it's difficult to truly get 
you know, a, a number two or, or a one a next to him. Right. It's just, uh, it's difficult when you have a player that's this good because you have a guy that's this good. You want the ball in his hands, if not all the time, most of the time. So, I mean, I, I think that this season again is going to be a season of, of figuring things out for the Mavericks. And, and I, I do expect there to be one more significant change uh, to this roster before we truly get set on what this team looks like in the Luca Jason Kidd era. I think that there's one more, um, you know, adjustment that that needs to be made. I'm not, I can't say at this time, like what that's going to be, but I do think that this roster is not set in stone yet. And we'll, we'll probably see another iteration of the Mavericks, uh, if not before the end of the season, then after that's after the season. But again, I, I kind of digress. The point being that Luca's on like an absolutely generational scoring run right now. And I mean, one, it's it's obviously a treat to watch him every single night um, and see this kind of greatness um, on such a regular basis. But two, uh, we got to talk about Christian Wood because, um, you know, he had a really good strong start to the season, uh, 25 in the first two games each, and then 23 in the third game against New Orleans. And it really did look like that he was the perfect complement um, for Luca and a seamless fit on this team. But then you look at the last three games, Hasn't been as productive. I think he had 11 against the Nets. Uh, I believe he had 11 against the Thunder too. And then last night against Orlando, he only had five points. Uh, of course, he had 10 rebounds, I believe. So I against the Nets, my, my thing was just like, okay, he wasn't getting as many shots. May not have been the greatest matchup. Um, but, you know, I didn't watch the last two games against uh, Orlando and OKC. So what did you guys see? Um, with Christian Wood and the rotations that might have caused this uh, at least temporary dip in production? So I believe against OKC it was, I think Christian Wood was in foul trouble for most of the game. So that obviously didn't help things, but um, you know, even so late in the game, they could have gone to him in crunch time because that was the end of the game anyway. Um as far as things go, though, I, I think Kid meant to play him a decent amount of minutes. But as far as the Orlando game goes, um, he definitely just wasn't a whole big part of the rotation at all that game, which, you know, is pretty concerning. And I can see why, of course, everybody's like kind of up in arms about that. Um, I think if I think I do think that Wood looked a little disengaged in the first three quarters and that probably uh, contributed to why he was on the bench for so long and for such big stretches um, earlier on in the game. Um, however, in the fourth quarter, you know, he got a little bit more of, of a burn and he actually contributed some and he played with effort, which I think that was lacking from him basically all game prior. So that was a more positive sign. And um and I, I got to say, I, I do think that he contributed to a win. So um, that was obviously, you know, we're not at an emergency point yet, but I'm just saying like, um, things could still be better though. Rohan, what do you think? Uh, yeah, and Fazl made a really good point uh, that he was in foul trouble. I also think teams are game planning for him a lot more. Um, 
I, it's really just going to take putting him in more situations with more ball handlers. I think he also we have we also haven't seen him get a good balance of being the screener in in the pick and roll with multiple guys uh, just as much as he gets to face up. Uh, I think he's shown that he's very very good at that um, and can consistently get to the basket even when he struggled in these games, um, just facing up his his opponent from the perimeter. But uh, we definitely need to see him get some of those points in action a little bit more and uh, see, I don't know, I just want to see where Christian Wood struggles to get baskets as effectively, primarily because it doesn't seem like he he's incapable of scoring from any position or any type of shot. So maybe just giving him more play and running him with more or running more actions with different ball handlers will solve that problem in the long run of let's say up until all-star break. Um, but I just, I think a lot of this was just bound to happen anyways. Like Christian Wood was having a phenomenal statistical start to the season. Um, and at least in the Thunder game, I feel like, I feel like the foul trouble uh, kind of had more to do with it. I think in the magic game, the matchups and also just the defensive game plan on the Magic's end was a lot tighter. Um, and as a combination of both of those things, it's a little harder for him to have that same performance. Yeah, I, I think that it's a combination of factors because, yeah, I mean, what he was doing in the first three games of the season was pretty special. And not to say that Christian Wood isn't capable of replicating that performance, but uh you know, 25 points per game on like 60% shooting is definitely uh, a hot streak and not something that can continue for very long. I'm hoping that he finds a more consistent place in the rotation because, I mean, I believe in his talent. Um, but I think, again, it's going to have to come down to him earning the trust from Kidd, which I don't think is fully there yet. Uh, and really how he responds to Jason Kidd's comments after the the OKC game is going to determine, I think, his future on this team, at least for the next couple seasons. So um, I think there's more, more to watch from him. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, Dwight Powell also made a return to the the rotation. And honestly, I don't think I could be too disappointed with that. Uh, from all accounts, it seems like he played his role well. And we all, we already know what Dwight Powell brings to this rotation. And perhaps we were uh, premature in counting him out so early. Yeah, uh, going back to what I was saying uh, on the first question that you posed to us uh, before Fazel joined, yeah, I, I think Dwight's specialization with rebounding is also a thing that we take for granted and that we have taken for granted over the last few years. Um, and he is he's definitely shown not just in that, but also as a runner and in making like these small decisions. Uh, just, yeah, I, I've, I've loved having him back. Um, Unfortunately, though, he does have very severe limitations in uh, in relation to Christian Wood, mostly in that he can't shoot that three. So there's just less you can't focus on him uh, on your in your offensive game plan in the same way. Um, yeah, but other than that, it's been good. Appreciate it. Wait. <clears throat> Yeah, so I, I think those are kind of the main the main takeaways from 
these last three games. I mean, another one is the the lack of defensive intensity, but you know, I think we all did kind of predict before the season that the defense could take a step back initially because of trying to integrate Christian Wood. Uh, obviously, one thing that I didn't foresee was JaVale McGee not looking uh, very good on defense, uh, but hopefully that changes. But I don't think I'm too concerned yet with the defense. I think that, again, a lot of this is early season variance. Uh, I need to see a bigger sample size before I really you know, hit the panic button on defense. But uh, the Mavericks got got a decent week ahead of them. I mean, they, they played the Utah Jazz tomorrow, uh, and the Jazz are surprisingly one of the best teams in the league this year so far. They won again tonight, and I think that moves them to 6-2 and two on the season. So uh, it's not going to be an easy game by any stretch of the means. And then they play Toronto on Friday, and, and we know how hard that the Raptors always play. So neither of these games are guaranteed wins for the Mavericks but it would be good to get a win at home in both of these next two. Yeah. Uh, the Utah game in particular feels like a trap game purely because yeah, on paper and even considering their hot start, uh, the Mavericks should, should trounce the jazz in that matchup, but the jazz are just better in general at closing those games. And they've shown that this year, uh, even despite maybe some talent disparities at key positions, just in relation to the Mavs at those same positions, um, I, I I think they're they maximize their talent in a way that the Mavs have not been able to this year, and uh, that's that I think is going to be one that's like way tougher than we think it is. Toronto, I mean, Siakam's been great this season, and uh, everybody in that locker room that that has talked about him even in preseason was saying he's in incredible shape. So I don't know who slows him down. Um, uh, uh, on this team. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm concerned for how the Mavericks are going to cover Lowry Markkinen tomorrow. Yeah, uh, yeah. They don't really have that kind of big that can roam the perimeter. Um, and the Mavericks rotations have not been as crisp this season and Utah has been thriving off of their ball movement. So uh, it's going to be a tough one for the Mavericks. A job for Maxi Kleba. That's what it sounds like. That's true, but even then, I don't know how how well he can move off ball, but I guess we'll find out tomorrow. Maybe Christian Wood <laughs> has some money to make tomorrow. Who knows? Perhaps. Perhaps. Um, and then yeah, the next game after that is Brooklyn. So like this next these next three games are not easy, you know, considering what our expectations for the last six games were and how those have ended up. I mean, knock on wood, this won't happen. But I, I can see worst case scenario, the Mavs being four and uh, four and five by the end of this next three games. Like that game in Brooklyn could <laughs> could take them below five hundred. So it really depends their defense and how well they execute to close those games. I think. Well said. Well, I think that this call is going to end now. And I don't want to have to start. <laughs> we will upgrade to the pro version of Zoom soon. But thanks, Rowan and Fazel, for joining me on this episode of the Mass Film Room podcast. Appreciate all of you who listen to us regularly. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Mavs Film Room if you haven't. Subscribe to our feeds on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back probably at the end of the week again to recap these next few games. And hopefully the Mavericks can... Have a better showing uh, by the time we record the next podcast and get above 500 and 
start to put some momentum on the season. So thanks guys again, and we'll see you soon.